Thank you, Sean. <clears throat> really appreciate that, uh, Sean. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. And I think Sean is also thankful I'm preaching today because he offered to be back up if my throat wasn't um, functional. And uh, I think he's in the clear. So I'm going to give it a shot. <clears throat> Please excuse the cough drop in my mouth and occasional clearing my throat. And uh, I think we'll be able to get through the morning together. We are going to spend some time together in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so I would like to invite you to join me there. And we're going to be talking about valuing variety in the church. How many of you grew up playing with these? Everybody see what's on the screen here? Everybody all over, take a look. Anybody know what these are? Somebody tell me out loud what these are. Exactly, Legos. Okay, so put your hand up again. How many of you have have played with these? Almost everybody. I was born in 1963, and somehow I missed out on Legos. I think they actually started being manufactured a little bit prior to that, maybe late 1950s if I'm thinking right, but they just weren't a thing or my family didn't know about them or something. So so I had a pretty deprived childhood because I did not have the opportunity to play with Legos. Uh, our kids had Legos and I remember having bins, you know, big plastic bins of Legos in their rooms and they would dump them out on the floor and of course they come in sets that you can build different models with but it, somehow they always ended up all in the same bin and so they would dump them out and make all kinds of, of buildings and vehicles and whatever they can imagine with, with Legos. The amazing thing is that you can take these individual building blocks and make just about anything or a, a model, a replica of, of just about anything. You can make a house, you can make a car, you can make a helicopter. Um, Faith and I were, uh, when we were in, um, in the south, we went to the Atlanta Zoo with our our grandchildren and in the Atlanta Zoo throughout the the zoo as you walk through there are life-size animals made out of Legos and they're amazing reproductions of different animals and all kinds of crazy colors and again you can make just about anything out of Legos uh, the, the largest that I know of the largest um, Lego model that I'm aware of maybe there's another one that's been built since then but is, is a model of a Star Wars X-Wing fighter, and it was built to be life-size. And this model used 5,300,000 individual Lego bricks. Actually, more than that. I'm rounding it off to 5,300,000. And it involved 32 people who were called master Lego builders, so they oversaw the project. There are, of course, more people involved in doing that. And it took them 17,000 hours to build this, this model. So Legos are amazing. Each individual tiny little block thrown together in a, a pile on the floor can be constructed into something intricate, something amazing, something huge, something very remarkable. A child 
or a child at heart or a master Lego builder can use thousands of individual pieces to construct one object. I'm using that as an analogy of what Jesus Christ is doing in his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Peter, who was one of the founding apostles of a church, said this. He said, you are living stones, and you are being built up a spiritual house. So you are the building blocks of the church. And just like with Legos, there are hundreds and thousands and millions of individuals who are being placed together and attached to one another and connected together in the church, the the global church of Jesus Christ, as well as in every individual church. There are several passages in the New Testament that teach us about how Jesus Christ is building his church. And as uh, we were away and I took some time just to think and pray and plan what I'd be preaching to you about over the next few weeks here when I came back, I wanted to spend time in a key passage of scripture that, that shapes the life of the church, that guides us in what the church should look like. And this can serve to confirm what already is here at Northridge, what God is already accomplishing here, but it can also serve to point us forward and to give us an idea of what things can be, of how things should look, and how the Holy Spirit is at work formulating his church here at Northridge. And the one I landed in is 1 Corinthians 12, and so we're actually going to spend some time in in chapter 12, but I believe, Lord willing, if we work through according to the the, the plan I have in mind will we'll go into chapter 13 and chapter 14 as well uh, over the next several weeks because these are all tied together as a key text of scripture that guides us in what life in the church should look like. Now the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the assembly of believers in the city of Corinth 22 years after Jesus was born and lived, was crucified, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. And the apostles began to preach this good news of the the crucified and resurrected Christ, and people believed, and they were saved. And the apostles organized these new believers into churches. The church in Corinth consisted of people who used to be pagans. They were heathen. They were ungodly. You think of the culture around us, and you think of the most pagan ungodly people that you could imagine, well, that's what these people were. They were idol worshipers. They were hardcore partiers. They were immoral swingers in their lifestyle. This is how they lived. So it's it's no surprise that when these new Christians started doing church, well, they had some problems, didn't they? There were some difficulties. So Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to address some of those problems. And one of the issues had to do with their unity, their oneness, their togetherness. And you know, if you know about the book of 1 Corinthians, that there were, there were divisions, there were factions there in the church. We're not going to get to this uh, verse today, but just look with me at verse 12 uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, where he says, For as the body is one... 
So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Paul used the analogy of the human body to illustrate for us the church. And he's saying, just like the human body has many parts, but they all contribute to the function of the body as a whole, he says, you you have one body as a human being. The church also is one body with many parts, and they all contribute to the function of the whole church. It's the same idea as, as a building, right? All the individual parts of this building or of something you build with Legos, there are many individual parts, and many of them are unique. They are distinct. They are individualistic. But God puts them all together into this wonderful entity called the church. Now, I have in your notes there, and I'm probably going to refer to these notes here and there just to make sure that you're tracking with me because it doesn't always show up this way on the, on the slides. I have a, a, a question at the top. You see it there? It says, why do we need to be reminded of this? Why do we, we need to be reminded of this? And, and the title that you'll see there, Variety in the Church, is the Holy Spirit's work, and we'll talk about that. So, so why do we need to be reminded of this? Well, let me share a few reasons with you. First of all, because right now is a crucial time in the life of this church, your church, Northridge Baptist Church. It is a crucial time in the life of your church. You are in a process of, I'm going to use a couple of terms here, reformulating and revitalizing preparing for what God has next for you. And you need to understand the spiritual and practical dynamics of how God uses people to formulate His church. Or maybe just be reminded of how God does this. Or or recommit in your hearts to how God uses individual people, a variety of people, to formulate His church. Uh, I think another reason we need to be reminded of this is, is because of as, as we look around us right here and look at one another, we see that there's a mix of ages. That's wonderful. And those of you who are on the younger end of the scale will be the building blocks. You will be the building blocks of the church going forward. So it's important for all of us, whatever age, but especially those in the younger age group, to realize that you are and will be critical in this process of the church being built. And so these are important principles and ideas for you to grasp and to embrace. Another reason to be reminded of this is that unity is essential. Unity is essential. Unity is also fragile. Unity can be vulnerable, can't it? Um, Independently-minded people, and we all can have that tendency can harm a church. We do have an enemy. Satan takes advantage. Satan incites division. So these truths need to be fixed in our minds and hearts, and we need to be committed to them going forward in order to cultivate and protect unity. So the reasons, crucial time in the life of this church, younger generation, unity is essential, and then one more. More and different people will be added to the church. That's God's plan. 
as we share the gospel, as we spread the good news, and people hear it and they believe, as you invite people, as, as God draws individuals to, to this church, more and different people will be added to the church. And so we need to be ready in our hearts to embrace them and to allow for the variety of people that God will bring together in this church. Now let me go back and read for us in chapter 12, uh, starting with verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 7 for now. So look at me at 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 1. Excuse me. (coughs) Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Now look back at verse 1, and you see the end of the verse. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant. So, so Paul is saying, I want you, Corinthian church members, and then, of course, all of us as, as believers in the church, he says, I want you to be informed But do you think that's all he's after? Do you think he just wants us to have this information in our minds? He certainly wants us to be aware, but it goes beyond that. When he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, he doesn't just mean, I want you to know these things. He's saying, I want you to accept these things. I want you to appreciate what I'm about to tell you. And I'm going to use the word today, value. He says, I want you to value. That is the implication here. I want you to be aware and to accept, but even more than that, I want you to value these truths. He's saying these are very important truths. They're important to me, and I want them to be, and they should be important to you. He is calling on the church to value the variety of people that God brings together to formulate his church. And you see different words in here that refer to this. He talks about diversity and various and then the distribution to each one individually. And that's where I'm drawing this idea of variety from. And there are probably ways that you and I do appreciate the variety of people that God has brought together here. That is something for us to to reaffirm. But also, 
to be open to and to embrace maybe ways that we need to grow in this appreciation and value. So here's another question. This one's not in your notes, but here's another question for us. Why is accepting and valuing the variety of people involved in building the church so important? Why is it so important for us to value and embrace this variety of people that God uses to build up his church, whether it's his church globally or his church right here at Northridge? Well, the answer is in the text. In fact, chapter 12 gives us a number of reasons to value this God-given, God-created variety. We're going to talk about one of them today. All right, so here, here's the main idea of our, of our message this morning. Valuing variety, or, excuse me, next slide, there we go. Value variety because it is characteristic of the Holy Spirit's work. We should, we ought to. There's an obligation upon us. We are instructed. We should be compelled to value this variety, variety of people I'm talking about, because it is characteristic of the Holy Spirit's work. This is one of the characteristics of how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the church. But what is the term that we use to refer to the idea that there is one God, but there are three persons of God? What's that word? Tell me out loud. What is that? There's one God and three persons. What is that? The the Trinity. Yes, the Trinity. Yeah. So, so that word's not in the Bible, the word Trinity, but we do see evidence of this idea of there being one God and yet three persons within that Godhead. And we see that right here in our text today. Look at verse 3. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit, and we've seen the Holy Spirit numerous times in this passage, the Spirit of God, and that's referring to God the Father. So we have the Holy Spirit, we have God the Father, and then who else do you see there? Who's the third one? Tell me out loud. Who do you see? Jesus, exactly. Called Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So there they are. There are all three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. But the one that you see over and over in this text that Paul, by inspiration of God, is emphasizing is the Holy Spirit. Uh, you, see, you see it in verse 4. Um, you see it all the way through, these, the list of gifts. He talks about the Spirit is involved in distributing these gifts. So this chapter is emphasizing the Holy Spirit's role. Paul refers to the Holy Spirit 11 times in the first 13 verses of this chapter. So what is it that the Holy Spirit is doing that reflects this idea of variety in the church that characterizes who he is and how he works? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is introducing people to Jesus Christ. Now, verse 2 describes these people as they were before they were saved. They worshipped false gods. 
In fact, he uses this language in verse 2, you were carried away. The idea is you were wholly given over to it at the end of verse 2. However, you were led. So again, there was, there was a, I think we would probably call it a satanic influence, right? So this was happening to them. This was a powerful spiritual force working on them. They were carried away. They were led into their idolatry. So they were wholly given over and caught up in the pagan, uh, the, the worship of idols and the immoral practices that went with it. And he says, this is what you were. Reminds me of something. Look over uh, chapter 6 just for a minute. 1 Corinthians 6. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So the Holy Spirit was involved in introducing these people to Jesus Christ, helping them know who Jesus is to the point that they believed in Jesus as their Savior. And they were washed in the blood of Christ. They were set apart by God. They were placed in a right relationship with God. They were justified. They were brought into a whole new realm of life by the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, back in chapter 12, when you look at verse 3, where he talks about the idea of calling Jesus accursed and calling Jesus Lord, Paul was addressing a couple of things that happened in the lives of the unbelievers there in Corinth and in this culture at this time. He's addressing the, the non-Jews here, the Gentiles, but let me talk about both categories. That There were some Jews who believed in Jesus as Messiah and Savior and Lord, right? They were, they were believers in Jesus. But some did not. Some of the Jews who rejected Jesus may have actually called him accursed. They were not neutral about Jesus. They were not tolerant of Jesus. In fact, they, they thought that Jesus was falsely representing himself as the Son of God, and so they said he's, he's cursed. So that was a, a way of vocalizing their rejection of Jesus. It's also possible that among the pagans, the, the non-Jews in Corinth, there were individuals that were so strong against the gospel message that in their pagan uh, pronouncements, we might, we might even say in, in demonic worship or even, even sometimes controlled by demons, they would pronounce a curse against Jesus. And again, that was their way of strongly rejecting Jesus. So, so Paul's making a contrast here, and he says, if somebody is rejecting Jesus, they're calling him accursed, whether Jew or Gentile, that's obviously not of the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is not producing that. 
But on the other side, he says, if somebody calls Jesus Lord, he says, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actively engaging in that person's heart. Now, this is not just flippantly saying, oh, yeah, I, I would say Jesus is Lord. Remember, for these people, that carried great significance. They were living under the rule of Caesar. The citizens of, citizens of Rome were required to call Caesar Lord. So for these Corinthians who heard the gospel and believed in Jesus and confessed Jesus as Lord, they were rejecting Caesar as Lord and saying, no, we affirm Jesus is our sovereign. Jesus is our authority. We are submitting our lives to him. They were publicly committing their full trust in Christ as Savior and their loyalty to Christ as their sovereign. So here we see this, this statement about what the Holy Spirit does. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If someone authentically confesses their faith in Jesus and their acknowledgement of Jesus' sovereignty in their lives, he says that is a work of the Holy Spirit. Now what, what's Paul doing here? He's saying, look, folks, to the church in Corinth, the Holy Spirit is the one who made it possible for you to recognize Jesus as the Savior and even to have the faith to believe in him and the, the sense of commitment to declare your loyalty to him. The Holy Spirit is the one who did that. And that's important to keep in mind because as God has drawn you together as a church, it is the Holy Spirit who has introduced each of you to Jesus Christ, whether it was in your home, whether it was in a Bible study somewhere, if somebody shared the gospel with you face to face and you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit was the one behind that introducing you to Jesus. And, and there's a variety of people represented here. And in any assembly of, of believers in Christ and followers of Christ, there is that Holy Spirit authored Holy Spirit-initiated variety. So this first activity of the Holy Spirit is introducing people to Jesus Christ. But it does not stop with that because the Holy Spirit also sets us up in the church with a variety of roles and responsibilities. In fact, he distributes these roles and responsibilities. Now, in verse 1, Paul starts out talking about spiritual gifts. In verse 4, he says, there are diversities. We might say there is a variety of gifts. These are abilities that the Holy Spirit, again, activates in believers that are for the purpose of building the church. Now, I've included something on your handout, uh, on the back. There are, there are two detailed lists of, um, of these spiritual gifts. One of them is in here in 1 Corinthians 12, and one of them is in Romans 12. There's another list in Ephesians chapter 4. Those are gifts to the body, right? So those are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor-teachers. There are gifts to individual believers. Those are listed here. We read through them. Also in Romans 12, we won't look there. 
they're categorized in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Now, I'm just giving this to you, putting this in your hand, because I'm not going to go through this in detail today. I just want you to have this as a background and understanding for what, what Paul's doing here in 1 Corinthians. But you'll see, what, what I've done here is taken these lists of gifts and categorized them, gifts related to the Word of God. So there are gifts that God has given to people, enabling them to speak the truth of the Word of God into the life of the church or into the lives of individual believers. And there's a variety of gifts. Some of them were active in the birth of the church. Some of them are still active today. And then gifts related to the work of God, the organization, the accomplishing the tasks, doing the work of ministry. And there are a list of gifts associated with that as well. Now, a couple of thoughts on this. I know different people have different ideas about these gifts, and one of them is, well, those were functional in the first century church, but not necessarily today. Others would say there were some that were functional then, some that are functional today. And I, w- I would just say this, that these represent, generally speaking, the enabling power and individual potential for serving in the local church. And we do see in people's lives today various strengths, various inclinations, various talents, we might say, or skills, even personality traits that show up in ways that that give them an ability to help and to serve in the local church. Some people have one prominent ability. Some have a combination. Some may have abilities in the ministry of the word. Some may have abilities in the work of the ministry, some may have abilities in each of those, in both of those, and have a combination of gifts. The point of this is that the Holy Spirit distributes these roles and responsibilities, and here's the point, they reflect His design for variety in the church. What we see here is a characteristic of the Holy Spirit. Notice he says in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 11, one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. This is a reflection of the character of God. In fact, you can turn there if you want, back to Psalm 33 that was read for you a while ago. I'm just going to read verse 15. Listen to Psalm 33, verse 15. It's talking about the creative power of our God. Psalm 33, 15. He fashions, he's talking about the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. So God fashioned, formulated, designed, created you as an individual in your heart, in your mind, in your personality, in your abilities, in your interests, in your strengths. And I would say in a room like this, there is a a great diversity, right? A variety of personalities and interests and abilities and, and strengths. And God has, in his magnificent, creative character, reflected his variety 
and what he has put together in the church. It's part of who he is. And so, so we can stand back and be in awe and, and acknowledge and even worship what the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he has done in creating this variety within the family of God. We could also say that he has provided every one of you, every single one of you, with the ability to help build up the church. You're born with certain strengths. You develop certain abilities. It may be that the Holy Spirit activates certain potential when you become a believer in Christ and you're born again that enables you to serve in the church. The Spirit determines what your gifts are, how you fit in the life and growth of the church, and determines what your role is and your responsibilities. Let me just point out one other little little item here. You look in verse 5. He says there are differences of ministries, that's the Greek word diakonia, ministry or serving, different ways to serve, we might say. Different ministry roles that people fill. And then look at verse 6. There are diversities of activities but the same God who works all in all. That's another word. This is the word in ergema. You think of energy or energetic. It's the idea of accomplishing a task. So, so there are different kinds of work that people accomplish. He's just covering all the possibilities here. Different gifts, different strengths, different roles, different tasks, different responsibilities. It's like a work day when everybody shows up and there's a list and somebody says, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. There are, are tasks and roles and responsibilities that, that you feel comfortable in or, or confident in. He's saying there's that kind of variety within the church, different abilities and roles and activities. Now, now think back to the, the, the Lego illustration, if you would. And let's, let's imagine a group of six, we'll call them children, kids, whatever, young people. And, and they dump out a bin of just thousands and thousands of, of Lego blocks and pieces and little Lego men and all that. There's a pile of Lego pieces on the floor. And one of those kids says, I have an idea. Let's build, and he names whatever the idea is. All right. So, so that, that child has formulated an image in his mind. Another one says, you know what? I think I've seen something like that in the instructions. So this is the kid that follows the manual, follows the instructions in intricate detail, piece by annoying piece, right? So let's, let's open this up and let's look at the, at the drawing, the diagram, and get all the right pieces and do it in the right order. So you've got the, the person with the idea, hey, let's do this. You've got the person that wants to follow the instructions. Maybe there's somebody else in the group that's, more of an organizer and says, you know what, I'll start moving these pieces around and I'm going to put them into piles of similar kind, similar type of block or similar type of piece. So that person's the organizer. Some of you are looking around saying, oh yeah, I know who that person is, right, in my family. Then there's the creative one that's like, oh, let's just put this on here and let's put that on there and this is a pretty color and let's put that on there. Then there's one that says, I'll bring the snacks, right? I'll go get the snacks. I'll go bring in something to drink and some cookies or whatever. 
And, and then you've got somebody, because of course there are going to be what? Fights, arguments, right? Squabbling over who gets to do what piece and how they should make it. And then you've got one person that's the peacemaker. It says, hey, it's okay. We're all working on the same thing. Let's work this out. And in, the, in this group, if it all goes hopefully, you know, fairly well, you have individuals with ideas and interests and ways of doing things. And, and if, they can, if they can work through all of those differences, each of them with those strengths and abilities and using those individual pieces can accomplish something amazing, right? Outcomes, this, this beautiful model, whatever, whatever they want to build. And that's exactly how it is supposed to work in God's work in the church. And the Holy Spirit in his wisdom, in his creativity, in his, in his power has created people with all of this individuality, with different ideas and strengths and experiences and, and all of it, and puts us together in this thing called the church. He has brought us to Christ, and he has brought us together in the church for a purpose. And if we can all get along, and if we can work together by the grace of God, then God can use us to accomplish something amazing something beyond what we can even imagine. Now, in your notes, uh, there is a section called My Applications. I want to give you three ideas, and then I'd like to encourage you to think about them and maybe make them personal to yourself as to how you might apply these, these ideas. So one area of application, I think, can be summarized with the word trust. Trust. We can trust God, and specifically, we can trust the Holy Spirit to introduce people to Jesus Christ. We share the gospel, we spread the good news, but we can't save anybody. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables them to understand Jesus is the Savior and to believe on Him and to call Him, truly call Him Lord. So we can trust the Holy Spirit to introduce people to Jesus Christ, enable them to trust Him as Savior and call Him Lord. And we can trust the Holy Spirit to draw people to this church, whether they are unsaved who become Christians or believers who are looking or move in to the area or just somehow come across or respond to an invitation, we can trust the Holy Spirit to draw together and to attach to this church people with gifts needed to build up this body as he intends. Now, many are already here, right? But I think we would agree that that we'd like for and believe that God has a plan for growth. He wants us to spread the gospel. So as the Holy Spirit works and people are added to his church, we can trust the Holy Spirit to bring people to Christ, but also to draw and attach people to this church who will build up this body with their gifts as he intends. So we can trust him for that, right? There's no need to panic or worry or be anxious. We can trust him. But that leads us to a second application, and that is to pray. So trust and then pray. Let's ask God to show or remind 
us of how he has gifted us and placed us and you individually in this church to serve him. But let's also ask God to bring the variety of people needed to build his church here. Let's pray and ask God to bring the variety of people needed to build his church here. I would would be very specific in that prayer. God, bring the variety of people that is needed to accomplish the grand work and purpose that you have in mind for us here. It will certainly involve the variety of people represented here, but it will most likely involve a greater variety of people than are here this morning. So let's pray for that variety. Put it on your personal prayer list. Pray for it as we gather on Wednesday nights, when the men's group gathers to pray, when the ladies' group gathers to pray, when you pray together as a family. Pray for God to bring together the variety of people that he wants here to accomplish his work. And then the third area of application is welcome. 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 We're spreading the word. Uh, You all had the Walking Tacos outreach. I heard it went really well. And people came and and, uh, some expressed interest in receiving more information. That's been sent out. Uh, Some expressed interest in having a Bible study. What a fantastic opportunity. We can pray that they will remain open to that as we seek those opportunities. Um, We have little invitation cards. I'm going to be saying more about those here over the next few weeks and using those to invite people to come. I would say that over the next weeks and months, it's likely that there will be new people coming into our midst, walking in our doors. And you all are naturally friendly. You're naturally welcoming. And we need to maintain that and and keep that up. Um, Probably over the next two or three months, we will have some students from... Faith Baptist Bible College, seminary, uh, who are coming in for the school year and they're looking for a church and uh, we're going to be representing the church there at the school on their Church Connect Day in September and hopefully we'll have some some students coming here. And uh, we want to welcome them, don't we? And, don't we? And I know you will. I know you will. Um, there are people that God will just bring to us that he'll just he'll drive by, they'll find the website, Somebody will, hey, have you heard about Northridge? And they'll just show up in answer to these prayers. And here's where I want to go with this. We, we want to welcome, and I believe we all naturally will do that and be friendly. You are a friendly church to that in that way. I would say we want to go beyond that. We want to get to know people, right? I mean, really get to know them and let them know that there is a place here for them. Now, When I talk about variety, I'm not talking about diversity in the world sense, the way the world thinks of diversity today. Anything you are, whatever you believe is fine. That's not what I mean by variety. We're talking about a variety of personalities and gifts and strengths and backgrounds. People who believe in Christ, people who are following Christ, that he can band together in his work. And we do want to welcome and embrace that kind of of variety and get to know people. And make sure that they know that we care about them and that if God leads them here, there is a place for them here. 
Spend time with them. Invite them to a meal. Take them out for coffee. Don't just be initially friendly, but show yourselves friendly in a warm, welcoming way of getting to know them to the degree that they would know, wow, there, there's a place for me there. I, I think it's possible um, um, for a group of people to be very committed and loyal and cohesive and, and go together through a trying time and emerge stronger and, and more closely connected than ever. And that can be a very good thing. And I want to encourage you with that. That's something that even as I have stepped back over the last month and just thought and prayed about this church, I, I've just thought about, you know what? You folks have come through some really tough times. I mean, some really hard times as a church, hard times individually, some times of grief, some health crises, family issues. I mean, I mean, you guys have just, just come through. You have come through some storms, right? And here you are by the grace of God. And that can really band you together. And you, there's a commitment to step up and do the work and, and take care of things. And that is awesome. And I highly commend you for that. I would also encourage you, to, to recognize that God may bring people that will add to and expand and develop the church in preparation for what he has next for you. And so I would caution against the mentality of we've got this, we can do this. Um, if there's something to do, somebody here uh, is the one that needs to do that. Caution against the mentality of if somebody comes to us to be part of us, they need to be like us, right? Um, a certain image of, of the kind of person that fits at our church. I would just urge and caution to be careful about that because the Holy Spirit is the author of variety. And you have come through so strong and you've developed, I think, a, a rugged individualism as a church. But I encourage you not to let that limit what God wants to accomplish, what God wants to do. I was also thinking back about the... Guys, I have had... We have had an amazing privilege, my wife and I, to serve in some churches that I could never have have manufactured or or accomplished or, or made happen in any way, humanly speaking. God just placed us and God worked in some very unusual ways. I was, I was thinking back over a couple of those churches and the, the kinds of individuals that he put together in, in some of those settings. And so I've, I've, I'm going to give the example of, let's say, a group of deacons, okay? So, so I've, I've been, or I've pastored, and the deacons consisted of uh, carpentry, woodshop worker, um, you would say somebody who's skilled but does manual labor. And on that very same, in that very same group of people, um, a, an accomplished attorney, um, an optometrist, and an accountant who was over the international tax division of Johnson Controls, responsible for millions and millions and millions of dollars on a daily basis. Okay. 
So, so what I'm saying is that there's a combination of kinds of people there in that setting with different personalities and backgrounds and levels of edu education and skill, and even we might say lifestyle and, and experience. Uh, the other church where, where we pastored, I, I think in terms of uh, plumbers, construction workers, mechanics, again, every, every kind of labor you could think of, uh, but also a man who was uh, in, the, in an, earlier, an earlier time before he came to the church, the CFO for the international clothing manufacturer company, Nautica. So again, he was responsible for just, you know, numbers with a whole lot of zeros after it and taking care of that. He was the most humble, godly, gracious man. And all of these people working together were allowed by the grace of God to accomplish some magnificent things in, in the life of the church and in that community. And there are cultural differences. There are differences of experience. And again, lifestyle, level of living, all of that. But the, the skills and the knowledge and the the character qualities, all of it, all of it coming together in that setting for what God used to produce a, a great work. And I just share that to say there's a variety, isn't there? There's a variety God can use depending on, it doesn't matter, men, women, you know, role in life, uh, homemaker, professional, you know, labor, whatever it is, whatever your level of strength, however many talents or abilities you have, there's a place for you. And our heart needs to be open to and welcoming others who have a place in his church as well. The church is the most amazing building project. The most amazing building project. Superintended by the Holy Spirit. It reflects his activity, his unique manifestation of the character of God. The church is a manifestation of the character of God. And from what we've seen today, the Holy Spirit emphasizes two distinct truths in the church. One of them, Jesus is Lord. And we, we declare that. We, we proclaim that, right? We worship him as Lord. But also, different is good. Different is good. There's one who saves. There's one who is sovereign. We believe on him. We worship him and serve him. Jesus is Lord. But individuals are the building blocks. Individuals are the living stones that make up the church. And because this variety is characteristic of the Holy Spirit's work, we should value it and welcome it and embrace it. Let's pray together.